is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. You've heard me talk about rabid brewing before. Back in episode 29, last October, I interviewed Tobias Seashon and Ray Rosado, the husband and wife co-owners who were the beating heart of Rabid, as well as Annabelle Popa, the artist who breathes mythological life into Rabid's artwork. I described Ray and Tobias in that episode as sometimes brash and brazen, but also vulnerable and sincere, like tender beating hearts armed with sabers or sarcasm depending on which is needed in a given moment. That dichotomy of boldness and vulnerability was never more on display than a couple weeks back during their Feast of the Goat Queen, a celebration of all things magical, natural, and mystical, in which the weird and wonderful denizens of Rabid's circle of friends came together to celebrate the beauty that can still occasionally be found in this fucked up world. My wife and daughter and I were there to celebrate with Ray and Tobias after three long years without a party, and to enjoy Crown of Horns, a chocolate cream ale I helped brew in collaboration between Bean to Barstool and Rabid. Today, we'll do our best to summarize the day, describe the beer, and explain why they both mattered. In this episode, we talk with Ray Rosado and Tobias Seashawn of Rabid Brewing about Feast of the Goat Queen and its coronation chocolate beer, Crown of Horns as well as with Emily Stone, the founder of Uncommon Cacao, about the brand new Philippine cacao we used in the beer. Today we are making a cream ale, which is based off of Fawnhorn, our previous vanilla cream ale, but instead of vanilla, this time we're using cacao from the Philippines. I'm super excited. Uh, it's an unusual combination that I haven't really heard about very much. I think it's going to be a really nice, easy drinker, and I'm looking forward to the chocolate. That clip is from June 27th, when I spent the day at Rabbit helping to brew Crown of Horns, a 4.7% ABV beer brewed with Philippine Malanabulong cacao from Ethereal Confections. This beer is the first ever collaboration beer Bean to Barstool has been involved with, and it was exciting to help take this beer from concept through production to tasting the first pint at the feast. We'll talk all about Crown of Horns in a little bit, but first I want to recap the Feast of the Goat Queen itself, because it's unlike any other beer event I've ever attended. The full personality of Rabid, its founders and staff, and the merry band of misfits who make up its core fandom was on display, with friends in themed fantasy costumes complete with antlers and horns and wings, and even families with small children spending the afternoon on the grass, little ones in butterfly wings and parents with horns reaching for the clouds. I know it's hard to feel invested in an event you didn't attend, but listen in for just a few minutes as Ray and Tobias reflect back on what the day held for them. 
it was one of the best days that we've ever seen. Yeah, it right. was totally glorious. It, I think that it, in a lot of ways, it surpassed my expectations. I'm still kind of blown away by people who had, this was their first time visiting with us and they felt at home and felt not just welcome to spend some money, but truly welcome. I think that was the biggest impression I had was that everybody who was there felt like they were already comfortable in the space, even if it was their first time. Yeah. And that's, I think, in large part due to our regulars, you know, to our our real followers that just like this is a favorite day for them where they get to walk around going, yeah, this is my place. I hang out all the time. Isn't it cool? And, you know, and they're just so welcoming to all the newcomers. That was like free ambassadors. Yeah, I think people in some way are easier to approach when they have antlers or horns on their head. Like you get the feeling that they're not going to be wallflowers. You can just go up and talk to them. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. There's there's a little bit of uh, personality shining through there. So, and that was that was really amazing was seeing not just, you know, not just adults, but you know, like earlier in the day, adults bringing their kids and their kids were dressed up as fairies and butterflies and things like that. So that was really cool. And there was a little dragon. He might have been about two and a half. He was really little. Adorable. So let's kind of go through the day. Uh, Early in the day, you had the artisans market. Tell us a little bit about the first half of the day and what was going on. You know, what was really cool was how many of the people running the market were actually participating in it as well you know, dressing up and at least doing makeup, you know, at the very least, you know, and um, all of their art and stuff was curated really by Ray. And these sellers were designed, you know, to really help promote the the entire concept behind the entire thing. I loved also how a lot of the vendors made art specifically for the event, that they were really cluing into what what the mission was to celebrate the magical the natural and the mystical and they like they got on the case and they did a great job so far the feedback from the vendors has been that that it was their favorite show of the year i've heard several tell me that they sold out a product which that is a wonderful problem to have at an event like that you never know how much to bring and almost all of them are already going how can i get on board for next year and then toward the evening things got a little bit more rowdy and intense in a good way Oh, yeah. 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 So at six o'clock, the artisan vendors got to pack up their stuff. And what was really neat was a lot of them packed up their stuff and then moved their cars and then stayed and hung out the rest of the night. So that was awesome. The evening entertainment began with some comedy from a local improv troupe called South of Shy Productions. After them, we had Naughty Neil with him. I like to say he is a, a, a smutty octogenarian singer-songwriter. <laughs> My favorite song of his is all about full-bodied women. All of the joys of a full-bodied woman. He is he is great. He's a treasure. After Neil, we had Am Howler and Tobias describe him. They build themselves as Chicago Heights blues. The songwriting is really amazing. And you can feel that. And it is some of the most passionate stuff out there. It was really, really a great performance. And then that was followed up by the Tomblins. They were the last band to play at the last the last Feast of the Goat Queen that we had back in 2019. And so we really wanted to have them come back because they put on a kick-ass show last time. And they did it again this time. They were amazing. Psychedelic, garage rock. Then after the Tomb Limbs, we were seeking to sort of close the ceremonial part of the day. When people entered, they were confronted with meeting the Goat Queen herself, uh, which was played by our friend Ty Lockhart. And Ty invited people to provide offerings at the Shrine to the Goat Queen. And those offerings were in the form of 
things that are really not useful to you anymore or your woes. And uh, we had them in stuffed into a big chicken wire and vine egg. We would write them on the paper and stuff them in. And after the tomb winds played, what happened is we cut all of the light and this wonderful fire hooper named Aurora began doing this awesome fire hoop presentation. Everybody's like, what is this? She shows up and she starts doing this awesome hooping. And at the very end of her hooping, she did the burning of woes for us. And she lit the egg on fire. And um, it was really cool. People were really cheering. And what I had hoped was that we would feel this sense of communal release of, and that it would allow us to really get down for Land Before Tim. I've seen a bunch of ska bands and I know that they're local, but they are my favorite ska band. They were so good. And like Tobias said, they had everybody dancing. There was a freaking mosh pit going at one point. Yeah, a mosh awesome. pit of, of a bunch of people wearing yeah. antlers and horns. Like which, maybe, yeah. like, maybe about <laughs> 10 guys, you know, but they were they were going for it, man. It was awesome. There was some guy who had never been to our place who was wearing antlers and he was going around and he was smudging the stage. He came up and he smudged me and gave me like a blessing, you know, of whatever he was burning. I mean, it was so perfect. Besides Crown of Horns, Rabbit had several other special beers on tap for the feast. Horus is a whopping 16.5% ABV triple IPA that's intense but smooth, and the beer's name has started to be used as a verb by some, as in, I got all Horus last night. Sunwich, a collaboration with Old Irving Brewing, was a 7% ABV strawberry lime goza that was perfect for the summer sunshine. Phoenix Rings was a hazy pale ale brewed with mosaic, wakatu, and pacifica hops. What I drank all night, of course, was Crown of Horns. We had, uh, you know, we had our beer, you know, that you and I did together. That was, you know, we, we really enjoyed it. That's uh, obviously Crown of Horns, and um, that was a chocolate cream ale. And it was, I mean, it is delicious. It's at 4.7%, it's somehow rich and wonderful and still light enough to, uh, you know, just down a big glass of. So I really love that beer. I do too. I love the dryness that I felt like the chocolate was providing at the end. That it's definitely a chocolate beer, but it's not sweet. It's not thick. I loved that. I, I loved that approach to it that was so different than what you see elsewhere. We had some friends who came and hung out for the evening and they loved it too. They were drinking it all evening because at 4.7%, I mean, you can always have one more 4.7% yeah. beer. <laughs> right, right, right. What was the general response to that one? Did you hear from any other people? I did. I, I had quite a few people come up to me and say, oh my God, that is delicious. So uh, awesome. that was, I think pretty much everyone said those exact same words. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to do that one again then. Crown of Horns was brewed with Philippine Malanabulon cacao, a new origin imported by Uncommon Cacao and sourced for this collab through Ethereal Confections. I have long wanted to brew a light, pale, relatively low-alcohol chocolate beer, since so many are heavyweight pastry stouts. Ray and Tobias were up to try it, so we set about talking about cacao origins. I had recently tried two of Uncommon's new Philippine origins from Violet Sky and was particularly drawn to Mala Nabulong for its strong chocolate foundation and its earthy, herbal, and spicy notes, feeling they would perfectly complement a beer of this type. We brewed the beer with an English ale yeast, and the combination of the cacao and the subtle esters from the yeast yielded an almost Belgian impression, with notes of palm fruit and banana, a silky, fruity cacao note underneath, a touch of earthy and herbal spice, and a gentle but lingering chocolate flavor. 
I recently spoke with Emily Stone, founder of Uncommon Cacao, about this origin. Uncommon is the leading cacao broker for bean-to-bar chocolate makers in the U.S., verifying standards of ethics and quality at origin and providing consistent product for makers. We'll have an entire episode with Emily in September, but for now, listen in as Emily explains what makes these new Philippine origins so special. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Bar Stool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. Kablan Farms from the Philippines is a producer that we actually started working with, or I guess we brought in their beans in 2020. So it was the last sort of new supplier right before the pandemic hit. And we sourced three different micro lots from Kablan Farms. The Philippines is a really interesting cacao origin. Um, there's a fascinating history of cacao in the Philippines. The country first started growing cacao in the 18th century with seedlings that traveled from the Spanish from Acapulco, Mexico. And so those seedlings arrived in Manila and cacao started to be produced. And alongside that sort of history of cacao agronomy in, in the Philippines, the culture of chocolate also started to develop in a really interesting way. So a lot of traditional Mesoamerican chocolate drinks like hot chocolate have been adapted to the local context in the Philippines as tablea and is very popular today. And Cablon Farms is, is a fantastic partner, I think in many ways, because they really embrace that culture and they really, they see their their role in continuing to expand upon and further refine the importance of the Philippines in the cacao industry. So it's a a 70 hectare biodiverse farm. Um, They grow cacao, they grow a number of different fruit crops as well. Um, that are sold locally. And the family is, is amazing. We work mostly with a woman named Estella, but it's her uncle. Uh, his name is Ernesto or June Pantua, who's the farm manager. And he's the eldest son of the family. He's very well respected uh, within their family. And they've just done such a phenomenal job, both in the cacao production itself and then in the post-harvest processing, which is so critical for developing the flavor precursors of chocolate itself. So yeah, we have three different micro lots from them. The first one is Cablan Original. And then there are two that have a very special fermentation protocols that have been developed. One is called Mala Nabulang, which means spicy or green or herbal. And then Bon Bulak, which means floral. Um, and both of those are from the Balan language, which is an indigenous language that's spoken by the vast majority of the workforce at Cablan Farms. 
Yeah, I had the chance to taste bars with both of those last two origins from Violet Sky. And nice. I'm really excited to talk about Mala Nabulong because I just brewed a beer with it. So uh, we'll, we'll wow. talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, in just a sec. <laughs> what are some of the sensory distinctives of this origin? What kind of distinguishes this cacao? The Cablon original, which is sort of the, the baseline uh, genetically of, of, you know, what you can sort of pull out from this cacao is a really rich chocolatey base note. So there's a lot of chocolate in these beans, which is something that we were excited about because surprisingly, there's a lot of the cacao that we source from Central and South America and the Caribbean tastes nothing like chocolate, at least not chocolate in quotation marks that you would, you know, the way you expect chocolate to taste. Sure. And so that was one of the reasons we were so excited about the Cablon Farm beans, as they just had this really sort of luscious, fudgy base note. The Malanabulang in particular, as I mentioned, means herbal in Balan. And so that comes, mala is like, and bulong is leaves. So it's like, like leaves. And it has a very sort of spicy and herbaceous character that is specifically developed through the fermentation protocol that's used. So the cacao is harvested from very specific parts of the farm, the areas one, three, and five of the estate. And then the cacao is fermented for six days in cascade boxes versus the bone bulak, which is fermented for only four days. Um, and so in the, in the bone bulak, you have a little bit more of the lighter floral notes, which are um, in some ways, you know, because it's a shorter fermentation, just those notes are, are able to sort of develop. And then there's not a fermentation process that, that extends uh, the development of the flavor beyond that. And then in the Malanabulang process, you know, it's a longer ferment. And so some of those more delicate notes are sort of pushed out because of the longer ferment. And you get this deeper chocolatey herbaceous with a little bit of like ripe banana, like a sort of, I wouldn't want to say like brown banana, but a very sweet note, like a very sort of like fully ripe, sweet banana. Sure. Is that flavor pathway of the longer fermentation leading to that more earthier base note pretty consistent in cacao? You know, I think it it does tend to lead to a more chocolatey flavor profile um, as you have in the aerobic fermentation phase, just the more that you're managing the uh, introduce, introduction of oxygen and the performance of the bacteria um, within the aerobic fermentation. We find that some of those more like delicate uh, floral or fruity notes just uh, get diminished uh, over time and we get more of the the flatter character. I think from the herbal side, my understanding is it comes primarily from the genetics because it's not something that can be sort of introduced into a flavor profile if it's not already existing there. And we don't find it very often in cacao that we work with, which I think is what makes Malanabulang very special. Um, you know, it's typically with a longer ferment, you could end up with uh, more woody notes, uh, more leathery type of notes, but continuation of like a green and herbaceous profile uh, after a slightly longer ferment means that there's something special uh, in the genetics of that bean. Sure. So I just brewed a beer with Rabid Brewing on the south side of Chicago. We wanted to do a collaboration chocolate beer together for an event that they had coming up. And I knew that you had this new origin and I just tasted those from Violet Sky. And I really loved the Malanabulong because it has a little bit more of that anchoring chocolatiness that you were just yeah. talking about. I feel like we needed in the brewing process, especially Definitely. for a, we're, we're brewing a pretty light beer. It's like 4.7%. It's a cream ale. It's a pale beer, which is pretty uncommon for a chocolate beer. And we were just going to use a little bit of this cacao to kind of 
you know, provide some accent. And I was really excited to use that one and I will be tasting it Saturday, uh, but the brewers just tasted it today and said that it came out awesome. So I can't wait. That I think sounds it's the amazing. First beer brewed with it. I, don't, I think we're the first ones to brew with that origin, probably. I have not heard of anyone else. So that is, that is amazing. I can't wait to taste it. I love a pale beer with cacao. I, I agree. It's, it's way too rare. We got to see more of those. And um, that's really exciting. I'm sure that was the perfect pick. And it, it, especially with some of those herbaceous green notes, mm -hmm. like to see that in a, in a pale beer could be really delicious. As I sipped on Crown of Horns into the night, I was moved by the celebratory joy and sense of camaraderie between attendees, some of whom had never met before the event. The Goat Queen herself, played by Ty Lockhart, carried a beautiful and graceful kindness about her that truly welcomed guests into the space. I asked Ray and Tobias to share with us what it meant to them to get to bring all their favorite people together again like this after three long years. It's the realization of a really long-held vision. I think throwing a party like that, like that turned out, is something that was on our hearts all the way back to business plan writing 10 years ago. It means being able to really to get back to that mission of being able to create those moments. I mean, I think one of the things I had hoped to do, and it's hard to do this with adults, but what I had hoped to do was to create a space that would allow people to make core memories, those moments of pure joy that, um, that go beyond the beer in your hand, that become something that you think of often and, you know, that bring you joy. And I was witnessing that all mm -hmm. around me. You know, I was witnessing such joy and that how can you not feel joyful at that, you know, that you were able to provide the platform for it. I also kind of feel like one of the things that really surprised me about is for, this was an iterative thing. You know, we threw our first goat queen in 2018 and I think it was like goats and beer and that might've been it. And 2019, you know, we definitely tried to go bigger. I think their vision of the artisan market was there, but I have not done one. And so I didn't, we didn't know what we were doing maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it wasn't as big, but people still talk about 2019, like that was the greatest party ever. And so I feel like this definitely was the greatest party ever. <laughs> and, and I think we were really successful in the things that we wanted to be successful at. Well, don't overthink yeah. this question too much, each of you, but single favorite moment or memory from the day? You know, for me, it was probably the part where we went from the fire hooping into land before Tim. That was where I actually got to participate, you know, and I got to be out there like, earlier in the day. I was actually behind the bar for, you know, a good portion of the day. And that's when it kind of like broke out into serious fun for me. It was meaningful. The way that the burning of woes went down was just, it was perfect. You know? it, was like, it was really exceptional. And then, and then having Land Before Tim come out there and just like kick ass is really awesome. My favorite moment, well, you know, the line at the bar was long a lot of the day and, mm -hmm. uh, and I was trying to help sort of move things along and so every now and again i would roll out a cooler full of cans of beer and a, and a square device and invite people to play bust that line by buying a beer from me and so there was this one point where there was a line out the door again and so i was coming in to go grab my stuff and and help out and i walked inside the door and the entire tap room including the entire line was roaring I mean, they were all just shouting at each other. Just And the thing was, I, I went, they're all having a really good time. And I just turned right back out and said, you know, the, like the, everybody's having such a great time that I knew that that they weren't minding being, you know, in a line 10 deep. That Because mm -hmm. our, our staff just, man, they just kicked butt. They kept up the energy all day. It is super hard to do it. But man, 
Well, yeah. was the goat queen satisfied with her feast? Are she going to bless our harvest? She has blessed us. And in fact, one of my favorite things about this, you know, we chose a male presenting person to be the goat queen. You know, we wanted to maybe challenge some gender norms and mm-hmm. to you know, maybe push on people a little bit. And one of the greatest successes to me is that I had several cisgendered men, hetero cisgender men who said, you know, I'm a little weirded out because, man, that goat queen was sexy. <laughs> she and, was beautiful. Uh, that means we won because right. um, that was exactly the response. I wanted somebody to maybe even scare themselves by going, wow, that's hot. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and that happened. So that was wonderful. I had the opportunity to see Neil with him yesterday. He asked if I had the post-event blues because he knew about that. And I'm sure I have some days of crying and processing because it was it was wonderful. But what I immediately thought was, I need a bigger place next year because as wonderful as, as it was, I know the things that I need to do to fix it for next year. And I go, okay, let's do it even bigger. As I entered the feast, the goat queen invited me to write down anything I wished to be rid of for the burn ceremony at the end of the night. I knew what I wanted to be rid of, and I wrote it down, folded the paper, and stuffed it into the wire egg. Late at night, when the lights were cut and Aurora began her fire dance, I moved closer to the fire bin, and when it began to burn and smolder, I tried to believe it would mean something, that the things that weigh us down really can be offered to the night sky. I grew up in a fundamentalist religious home and left belief behind a long time ago. I try, in fits and starts, to believe there can be something mystical in the world that amounts to more than spiritual cosplay. Sometimes I can believe it, sometimes I can't. Late at night at the Feast of the Goat Queen as the ashes rose into the night air, I was, for a moment, able to. If you're in the South Chicago suburbs, check out Rabid Brewing. Crown of Horns is still on tap while it lasts. Hopefully we can brew it again next year and get it into cans. Thanks again to Ray Rosado, Tobias Sichon, and Emily Stone for coming on the show, and to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Bean to Barstool.